Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the Q4 playbook following a really rough month for stocks. The Investment Committee revealing today how they'll play the months ahead for your money. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha. Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, and BMO's chief investment strategist, Brian Belsky. Uh, all right, guys, let's, let's just talk to markets right now, Joe, uh, because Carl hit it. 470, the yield on the 10-year, the two biggest questions coming into this quarter, earnings and rates. First and foremost, rates before earnings, because that's the way things are progressing. And as we continue to move up in yields, we continue to move lower in stocks. It's not that complicated. No, and everything about your Q4 playbook begins with, the direction for yields. Um, I, I do not see any fundamental catalyst in front of us for yields to fall. And I think over the, the last several days, and certainly in the previous quarter, the equity market is telling you exactly what that playbook should look like. Normally, you think about utilities, you think about real estate. These are safe haven sectors. In Q3, they were both down 10%, Scott. So it's not about being a safe haven. Utilities are down over 5% today alone. Yeah, well, rates up. Why would utilities be up? So high-yielding high sectors are, are not advantageous. Right. Um, the, the, uh, the only area of the market that I believe you could have a degree of confidence that while rates can stay higher for a sustainable period of time is the mega caps and its technology. And we go through the reasoning behind it, whether it's the, the strength of the balance sheets, whatever it might be. I believe a lot of it has to do with positioning. Over the last five days, you've seen that the NASDAQ is actually slightly higher while the Russell, the S&P is down. So it's not coming from financials. Look across financials, they're down 2 to 3% over the last five days. Not coming from industrials, they're struggling. Targets down 4% in the last five days. Retail's down. NVIDIA's higher 6%. AMD's higher 5% over the last five days. When you're thinking about your playbook, that's where I want to have a primary focus because yields are not coming down. All right, so J.P. Morgan Belsky says challenging risk-reward, um, it remains that that way. Uh, Lori Calvacina, RBC, not convinced equity weakness is finished. You still have 4550 on the on the wall uh, for S&P target. That's base case. Yep. Bull case 5000. Yep. How are we going to get there with rates doing what they're doing? Well, the other two people you talked about have been bearish all year long. Um, and, you know, if you go back and look at let's just look at history. Well, when the stock market's up more than 15% the first eight months of the year, uh, only two times in history has it been negative for the fourth quarter, two times. Um, and the average return is 4% for the fourth quarter. So if you look at that, where we're at, we're at 4 or 5%, we get to 45.50. That's right. kind of number one. Number two, as we've been, the case has been that we think this is all part of a, a broader normalization phase. Returns are normalizing for the next three to five years. Uh, yields are going to normalize. Earnings growth is going to normalize. Uh, and we think the, that process has already started. And the earnings are going to be better, number three, in the third quarter. We're, we've, been, we've been key on that for a long time. 
And we do think that the, the big part of the move is already over, but we're hoping that earnings are going to be even better for the fourth quarter mm -hmm. to get us to the 50-50, but we're very comfortable with 45-50. You know what else is normalizing? Since you want to, if you want to play that game, the Fed's balance sheet, right? That's normalizing to a degree that it hasn't in, in decades, really. And that, why, seems to be the most profound influence on how some, including your, your pal David Tepper, are, are viewing the market from the conversation that I had with him on Friday. And we can throw the quote up that he gave me from our conversation. It's not that complicated, he says. You're just not in QE times anymore. You're in the QT era, a higher rate environment. It can't be the same multiple as before. It's not bad. It's just a different environment. It's not like he, he's not, you know, overwhelmingly bearish, as, as you know, but it's sort of a reality check, Weiss, on the kind of environment we're in and what that may mean for stocks relative to where earnings are. And then you have to determine, because of both of those, what the multiple on the market is supposed to be. Right. So I agree with Dave, uh, or he agrees with me, the way you want to look at it. Yeah. Of course, Scott, we, as you know. We know exactly <clears throat> how to look at it, but proceed. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I do, too, in full candor. Look, you're, you're in a restrictive monetary environment, not just a little restrictive, a lot restrictive. And then to your point, we've got a lot more supply coming on from the Fed, a lot. So rates are going to go higher. But even if they stay where they are, there's no reason for the market to go higher where they are. So Well, unless earnings come in right. good. As far as I can get that. So I don't think they will. This quarter they may, because we've seen this delayed reaction to monetary policy, and maybe that gives you your catalyst, Joe, to take it a little higher. But I think it'll be very short-lived if it does move higher. So let's throw out the calendar. Let's throw in terms of last quarter is going to be a good quarter. October is going to be a good month. You should address Belsky. Let's throw it out. Because, because if we address me. I will, because if we just relied on the calendar, you'd be out of a job. So well, we can always look at the calendar. So thanks for showing up. Brian, Brian has value let's go beyond so, his S&P forecast. He does, he does. But in we're talking in terms of the market. So here's what I'd say. Rates are too damn high. Pure and simple. We're seeing a delayed reaction. We've had 15 years of free money. So there is no normal because you'd have to take out that 15 years to go back to what's normal monetary policy, normally how the market reacts. The S&P equal weight, as you reminded me on Friday, is flat in the year, right? The S&P is up about 12 percent. Flat is a gift in a rising rate environment. Now, why is it flat? It's because companies had massive balance sheets. They had a lot of cash. Consumers had it. 70% of the economy is driven by consumer, but that's been depleted. So th those are what the numbers say. So with that being the backdrop and with costs for the consumer, regardless of what headline inflation is or core inflation, we know it's going up because the price at the pump, that by the way, is yet to filter through into actual CPI. I just think it's too challenging an environment. Mm. Dave does not see a disaster, neither do I, because the bank system's solid. In 2008, it wasn't. So you don't have those issues. I feel like, Shan, we should just keep the 10-year note yield intraday on the screen the entire program. Because that is where the story begins, and that's where it ends. As long as it continues to go up, stocks are going to be challenged, period, end of story. Well, because right now, Scott, I think the challenge, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, I think the challenge for equity investors is that we're entering into this new phase. Um, last year, we clearly understood that the Fed was going to be aggressive, and then they were going to be even more aggressive, and then we were, wow, they're being really aggressive. 
And in the first half of this year, you know, we got this bump, if you will, especially with the liquidity infusion and that impulse coming out of um, some of the challenges in the in the banking sector. Uh, we got this infusion of liquidity, uh, and that really reset, I would say, what the expectations were from a longer-term perspective on rates. And now, you know, we've seen the tenure continue to creep higher and higher and higher. And so, if you were anchoring right around the May-June timeframe, that we were already at peak rates. Um, and that the market had priced in what the Fed had left to do this year. And, oh, by the way, that there were going to be four interest rate cuts next year because of the looming recession that we all obviously telegraphed coming into this year. I think now what you're seeing is this period of digestion. And the challenge is, is that September was a really tough time for us to digest that, given the government shutdown, student loans, what's happening in the oil market, um, what's happening in central bank policy outside of the United States right now, and the, the divergence of that. And so I think now what we're trying to do is figure out where is that top for yields but if this is where we're going to be at, and maybe slightly higher because we're not seeing any abatement in this rise in the 10-year, how should you be setting yourself up for 2024? And I think this is the quarter to be doing that in terms of you know what you think is going to happen in the first half of next year. So how do you counter, Brian, all, all of that? Um, you're, you're not naive to what's happening with rates, obviously. Nope. So how do you judge what's happening there and, and maintain your bullishness through all of that? Well, I think a couple things. When you take a look at average uh, interest rates and you compare them to the last three years, obviously higher for longer. I'm so bored with higher for longer. Of course, they're going to be higher than zero. That's not normal. And so if you look at since 1950, when you look at periods when the market is trading above their three-year average in terms of interest rates, sharp ratios are higher, returns are positive, meaning the information ratio is higher. That means you're more of a stock picker relative to just buying the index. We've long said that we can have one of these periods where own everything in moderation. I think Joe's right. We're going to have a period where the mega caps work. I think that what's happened to the high-yielding areas like REITs and utilities have made people learn that you want to own dividend growth, not dividend yield. You want to own a little value, you want to own a little small cap. It's not just one or the other. I think you want to own a bunch of things as people mo as returns moderate. And the market has already told you that we're heading into this high single digit, low double digit return structure for the next several years. And I think that was defined by what so far has happened in 2023. It is notable, Joe, as you said, of the mega caps doing well today. As we're talking about the 10-year, normally you talk about the 10-year moving higher on an intraday basis. You'd see the NASDAQ moving considerably lower, uh, not happening. Why? Because the stocks like the ones we're showing you on the screen here, whether it's Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Meta, for example, um, Tesla, all higher on the day. I think that there's this, this universal thought that we have to lose the concentration that's been so dominant so far in 2023. And in fact, I believe that only intensifies as you move towards the end of the year and you study the Treasury market and you ask yourself the most critical question as it relates to Treasuries and who is ultimately going to be that buyer of Treasuries, a significant enough buyer that will bring yields down. The answer to that question is very difficult right now to try and find, what, is it going to be pension funds? Well, pension funds could step in, but they're not going to be aggressive to really press yields lower. We know foreign demand is down. 
We know that the Treasury is issuing a tremendous amount of, of issuance. So as long as you have this structural uh, force in place, and I believe it's structural, I don't think it's something uh, that's going to be for the, the next quarter or two. This is going to remain in place for 2024. You have to kind of identify the areas of the market where you believe there's not that sensitivity to what uh, the move in yields might be. But there, has been, but, there, but there has been a sensitivity to growth and to tech to yields. Yeah, you, now, it, one day does not a, a trend make, but it's been pretty clear to track that whenever rates have been moving up, especially in the speed in which they have, tech's been lower. NASDAQ's been lower. So you, you've been making that point over, over the last... What do you mean I'm making that point? I mean, the market's make, made the point. No, no, but you've been on air. You've been emphasizing that point over the last week, and I'm going to credit you because I, I believe you're right to focus on that. But I think it's, it's important to also say, well, where, in fact, was technology coming from and where is technology now? You're talking about at the end of July when the move in yields really began. So if you look at a 30-year, it's up about 80 basis points since the beginning of August. Scott, you're correct. Technology, mega caps, responded to that. They sold off. But technology and mega caps were already overbought at that point. Now where we are in the marketplace, you could make a, a, a reasonable argument that technology and mega caps have a little bit more of a comfortable valuation from where they were three months ago. And the fundamentals are still strong. The revenue growth is still strong. And the need to access the debt markets from these companies is not going to be there. But Weiss, if you want to look at, let's just say, ARC, for example, um, down, ARC, the ARC ETF, the innovation ETF, the ARKK, is down 9% in September. Why? Because that was the month where we saw rates rise the most dramatically as they did. Um, now, you know, Tesla's obviously a, a huge holding. It's the number one holding. But we're talking about Zoom and Roblox and Roku and Coinbase, which was up big today. It's about to go negative. We can show that, too. Block, Twilio, Palantir, Meta, just to give you a flavor of what's in it. That's far from all, but at least enough of 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 what her holdings are, Kathy Woods, to give you a, a flavor. Where, where within tech is a decent place to be if rates remain elevated throughout this arc. month. Not an ARC. ARC is on high test. So it's big reward and big losses. It's just a binary fund and she chooses to be that way. So it's a strategy. I'm not going to say it's bad or good, but you have to know that going Still in. Still up like 20 some odd percent year to date. Yeah, but let's look on a two year basis. I understand. Uh, I mean, it's I understand that. So I think the best place to be is in mega cap tech. I think it depends where you are there. So you take a look at Meta, it's roughly 16, maybe 17 times next year. It's at a discount to the market multiple. Should it be? No. Uh, I like Microsoft because you'll start to see, st starting in January actually, the products really flesh out and adapt AI into it. That's going to drive revenues. And then, of course, they both have cloud business. So those two stocks in particular happen to be my two largest holdings are where I would be. You can find other areas, but let's not bet on consumer-driven businesses like cell phones, et cetera. So going back to the semis, it's not really where I would be. NVIDIA is sort of an anomaly, and I think that's going to be extremely volatile, continue to be extremely volatile, and bounce around. Amazon's another one. I own a, a relatively small position, definitely smaller than the other two mm -hmm. uh, in Amazon. And I try to decide, do I even want to be there or do I want to be bigger? I just can't answer it. I may want to be there, bigger there because 
you know, Andy Jassy's been much more financial, a much better financial steward of it than Bezos, Bezos' legendary CEO. But their cloud business, the growth is going to resume because it has to because you have so much more data that's got to go to the cloud. So I think you want to be safe in the big cap names that have fortress balance sheets that don't have to go to the market for funding because that's what really hurts tech stocks when they've got to go to the markets and raise capital. Belsky, you bought more Oracle. I did. Why? First off, uh, so they came in at $12.45 billion in revenue. And they missed the estimate, which was 12.47. And so I think there was an overreaction. Their margins continue to go up. Uh, they are trading at six multiple points below their 10-year average multiple. And this is a stock talk about fortress balance sheets and talk about AI. We've owned it in our value portfolio for five or six years and just added it to our more tactical S&P 500 just because I think, number one, because of the cash flow balance sheet and the strong earnings going forward. And number two, from a valuation perspective, it does help us bring the multiple down in our tech holdings with respect to the S&P 500. So, Shan, I know you like Oracle because you picked it in the stock summit, but I want to move you beyond that to... Um, some of your ideas for your playbook of sorts for the fourth quarter. I do find it interesting that here we're talking about a higher rate environment, which you agree is going to be with us, yet you like utilities and staples. Some areas that don't do as well when yields are going up for obvious reasons. Why do you like them? Well, I would say one of the things that I want to make sure that I um, identify here is that this fourth quarter could be a setup for complacency in, in, in terms of what happens next. So Scott, we talked earlier in the show about how the last three years we've had negative returns in September and all three of those years we've generated positive returns in the fourth quarter. You know, to Brian's, to Brian's point, that we, we could be in for that setup here. We could see a, a positive quarter. And so I want to make sure that people are thinking about this in terms of we are likely approaching peak yields. And so, yes, the, the, the uh, dynamics, if you will, and the enthusiasm and the sentiment behind areas like utilities and real estate probably is not going to play out in the first half of 2024. But I think if you look at the, the sectors that have underperformed this year, and oh, by the way, the, you know, we're now at more stocks um, with negative returns in the S&P 500 than positive stocks, just by a little bit um, as of Friday's close. But I think you want to look at places like healthcare. If you look at REITs, for instance, I think REITs as an entire um, collection, you may not see the opportunity there, but they're very tied in with some of the infrastructure spend that we're anticipating next year, particularly in technology. If you look at healthcare, for instance, you know, we've underperformed this year in healthcare, and yet there's growth dynamics in that sector that are very attractive. Consumer staples, think about margin recapture, think about all of the concerns that we had with higher costs, a lot of those have been passed on. And so if you're worried about the consumer in 2024 and you're thinking about the shift from, you know, retail to necessities, consumer staples companies should benefit from that. And so I think that one of the things that I would say for our, our viewers in the equity space in particular is that take this quarter to think about setting up for a little bit more volatility, a little bit more uncertainty. Think about the places in your portfolio that you probably are underweight um, and add some to that. Just you know, start to add to those exposures. Not that they'll necessarily be the best place to be in December of this year, but looking forward through 2024, we're going to digest these higher rates and reset to our new level. And this is where you're going to want to be when we start to see some of that consumer slowdown. So Brian, all right, so rates, one component in the, in the 47 or 4,800 and 5,000 yep. theory of yours. Yep. Um, earnings have to deliver. 
So this is the quarter that, that's going to be reported that we get back to earnings growth and then you, you have a lot to live up to as we get into the next year. Why don't you think those expectations are overinflated? Because I think they bottomed out a couple of, couple of months ago in terms of expectations with respect to revisions, not only for this current fiscal year, Scott, but if you look out for 2024, the revisions bottomed um, a couple of months ago and they started to, to recover quite nicely. That can I, still hold true. It, yep. And, and estimates can still be overinflated, though, moving forward. Well, one doesn't preclude the other. No, it doesn't, especially the 24 numbers, right? Because that's what I mean. Yeah. So I think if you're looking at like, let's let's call it a 245, 250 number next year. Right now we're pacing and the S&P 500 is pacing up to a 222, 223 number. I think we can get to that. Then now we're talking nine, 10 percent growth next year. Now, could they come down? Sure, they could come down. But I think analysts uh, usually kind of follow each other and the herd is beginning to, to really increase their numbers. So I think any downward number in terms of revision for next year is going to happen the second half of next year. It's not going to happen the first half. So what, what's a fair multiple, do you think, for the S&P to be trading on right now? What do you think the fair number is? The fair number. Because it all come, all roads lead back to that, right? That That's the, the crux of the Tepper conversation. Yep. Is how do I know what the multiple of the market is supposed to be in a higher rate environment, in a QT environment? That That is beginning, middle, and end the story. Well, in a QT environment where rates have most likely peaked, and you also know, too, that coming out of a bear market low, you have six multiple points that come off that low. We're up only four and a half from that. So the turn, I think, we could have a little bit more multiple expansion this year because people are reinvigorated back into stocks. Now, the the multiple is kind of a trap question because is it 18 to 20 times? That would be great if we can see 18, 20 times. But I think on the average side, we're going back into normalization. So it's going to be a higher teen multiple. With the average over time for the next three to five years and earnings are going to grow into that. The word we keep using is peak and I take it not not personally with you Brian but I take issue with the word of peak when you're talking about yields because if you think we are at peak yields guess what don't even look at the equities market look at the corporate bond market because that's where the real opportunity is if this is peak yields. I think the right word to be using here is elevated. And you're going to see that yields are going to be playing above the rim. They're going to be elevated for an extended period of time. And if that is the environment, as we're seeing today, just look at today. The S&P equal weighted is down one and a quarter percent. Trust me, I run an equally weighted strategy. You have small caps. Once again, they're down 1.3 percent. That's the environment of a elevated yield setting. And I think the viewers and investors really have to think about that, not just for the coming quarter, but as you move into 2024. Well, that, that Russell, to your point, was down more than 8% last month. Yep. Super sensitive to rising rates and you know, still the lag effect questions about what the Fed Steve has done and what the ultimate impact is going to be on the economy. If you listen to one sound bite in the show, just listen to what, just, what, what Joe just said. Elevated, staying there. Okay, so too many bulls are saying rates have peaked. I've got to buy. It's not that they've peaked. Maybe they have peaked. It doesn't matter to my cautious, very cautious case. It matters that they're going to stay there for a while. It's not a temporary thing, and that's going to influence spending behavior, corporate behavior, and the economy. That's why I firmly believe we're going to a recession, not the base case of a soft landing. But it doesn't mean that stocks stocks can go up. You've made the case multiple they, occasions. They stocks can. can go up with rates being elevated. Right. But at some point, you have to stop the elevation. 
you have to stop the speed in which they went up over the last right. 30 or so days because it obviously had a profound impact on, on what the market's done. Yeah, and look, we came out of a very unusual period post-pandemic where demand, people couldn't spend money even if they wanted to. Sure, you could buy some things on Amazon, but you couldn't go out with the experiences, the dinners, you couldn't go to the malls, et cetera, et cetera. We came out of it, and that was a fire hose that came rushing in. Now that's gone. Now we're level setting to more normal activity and looking at our personal balance sheet saying we can't spend. So yes, stocks can go up, our rates go up, but only to a certain point. And my view is we hit that point on rates a while ago, perhaps six months ago, it's just taking reality while it's yes, catching unless, unless you think that as rates were abnormally low for an unusually long period of time, Absolutely which they, they were, were yeah. maybe now they're, they're abnormally high. They are. Right? Okay, but and let's that, take a look. Right. The Fed's going to embark on a cutting cycle at right. some point. But they're telling within you they're the, not. Well, who cares what they say? I'm not but, saying but, next week. But no, I'm talking but, about, you know, by mid-next year, who cares what they say? But they've gotten I, I the growth listen, projections wrong they've and they've gotten inflation wrong. wrong. Okay, but Scott, they've gotten everything wrong. But at a certain point, you know, we're reacting uh, to a Federal Reserve meeting a couple of weeks ago where they're overly hawkish. We're, we're, we're reacting. I agree with you. They've, really, gotten, the only, they've gotten everything the wrong. The only person's voice who matters, frankly, is Chair Powell. That's it. Okay. Exactly. And None of the exactly. speakers so, coming out so, every so, week. But take, that, a look, take a look. Take a look at just through civilization what's really hurt economies, what's actually hurt some civilizations. Take a look at South America when they're running at 20% interest rates, right, and other emerging markets. It's disastrous. So the only important thing is to get inflation back down to 2%. They've not said 3% yet. Some, some are saying, hey, they're going to go to 3%. They're not going to 3%. It's 2%. So until they get there, it's going to be an issue. If the Fed's wrong, it's even worse. If they're right, Okay, it's still an issue. So I don't, to me, it's just very simple. It's a very, very simple market. All right, coming up, we have our call of the day. It's a fresh 52 week high for a stock on a big upgrade today and expectations for shares to rise more than 20% from here. We'll get the take next. Halftime back, two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Time for the call of the day. U.S. Steel upgraded today to overweight, named a top pick at Morgan Stanley, the price target to 40 from 25. 
I know you don't own U.S. Steel Letter X, but you do own Steel Dynamics. Jimmy, of course, owns Cliffs. So you guys play in the steel space. Do we like these stocks here, yes or no? Well, U.S. Steel, yes, because I believe a deal will ultimately get done. U.S. Steel has indicated there's been specific interest from other suitors beside Cleveland Cliffs. Um, there's three areas of the economy in which demand is going to come from. It's commercial construction, it's manufacturing, which have been challenged. And then the wild card, Scott, is automotive. And automotive, because of the UAW strike, you're seeing a pullback in a lot of that demand. I believe that's temporary. You've also seen that steel prices since April are down 40%. So you've seen a little bit here of a pullback for a lot of the steel names. I'm comfortable buying some of these steel names because I think that the demand comes back once we get a resolution to the UAW strike. I think the automotive sector will bring back that demand. Steel Dynamics is in the Joe T strategy. I can't speak towards what we're going to do on Halloween. That's when we'll be rebalancing. Would you buy but Letter I think X personally? Collectively, yeah, I, I think Letter X at 32, where are we, 32 and a half, somewhere around there. I, I think that's a spot you could buy because I do think a deal or at least some form of the assets are going to get sold. You, you just sold, speaking of FCX last week. We talked yeah. about it. So it's material stock. Yeah. Um, do you take the other side of that as negative as you are on the No, I, I think still this is economy? an ARB call. That's yeah. purely what it is. This is not a fundamental call. What what the analyst is saying is somebody's going to buy them. There are already a couple of bids on the table. So it's going to worth, be worth 40 to 45. It's actually a call. It's risky. We've all seen deals walk away. And if Cleveland Cliffs is the winning bidder, mm -hmm. it's going to take a while because Lena Khan you know, doesn't want to see anybody merge. You know, she's not a capitalist. She's a socialist. Right, but her hand might so, be weakened. She's still going to sue them. Late. She's still, it, I, it is. But it takes, it'll take a while. To, this deal wouldn't close for at least a year or so. So I'm not, and I would not own the steel stocks here. We've seen, away from the strike, we've seen demand start to falter. CarMax told us, look at used car prices. Look at the incentives on new car prices. So it's not where I'd be. And, and in fact, if you go historically, and this is what Dave always says, the pillars of the economy, you won't tell how the economy's going, look at housing and look at autos. Autos, we know, start to come down. Housing, that's going to come down. It's on borrowed time because of lack of inventory. But are you going out and buying new houses now yeah. with the mortgage rates where they are? Of course you're not. So you sold Freeport to, to Belsky, who owns it. Yep. Uh, and Newmont. <clears throat> So what's, what's your take? Got a great deal. Thanks, Steve. That's a big <laughs> position you were buying from him, you know. Yeah, I know. Talk, talk, to me, talk to me in a number of months. I believe in the copper story long term. Yes. And Brian O defaults the long term when he makes short-term mistakes. So, yes. Yeah, so in 10 years, that's going to be fine. Well, when you make mistakes, period, Steve, uh, we're here to pick them all up. So on that way. Uh, Go ahead. I think next year the market's going to be much more cyclical. Uh, we're overweight materials in Canada. So copper and gold and forced product stocks. We're neutral here in the U.S. It's not as big of a part of the index. So um, we like copper from the thematic longer term perspective of, of batteries and the like. Uh, but we think materials are going to do quite well. I think materials are going to be a sleepy sector next year. I really do. A sleepy winner. Shan, do you agree with that? A sleepy winner for materials. What do you think? Uh, I think that materials are, say, are facing same of the, some of the same supply issues that we have in energy, Scott. And, um, you know, Brian makes an excellent point on copper. 
Um, it is. It takes a very long time to build a new mine, and we are seeing yields come way down on the copper facilities that are already in place. And so if you think about this infrastructure spend that's already pent up, um, if you think about the person, you know, like the upside could be China. Um, we really haven't seen a recovery there, and there will be stimulative spending where they spend it. But I, I can't imagine that we won't see um, some pickup in construction spend here in Europe and in China over the next couple of years. Um, could be sneaky, especially in some of the individual commodities. All right, we'll see see if it sneaks up on us. Yes, see it does. <laughs> Silvana Hanau has the news for us. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. All right, well, California Governor Gavin Newsom has chosen LaFonza Butler to fill the seat of the late Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein. Butler is the president of Emily's List. That's an organization that works to elect Democratic pro-choice women. She will be the third black woman to ever serve in the Senate and the first openly LGBTQ person to represent California in the chamber. Butler will serve until the next senator is elected in November 2024. The World Health Organization is recommending a second malaria vaccine to protect at-risk children from the deadly disease. The shot was announced two years after the organization announced the world's first malaria vaccine. The organization's chief said the new treatment will be rolled out in some African countries in early 2024 and will cost between two and four dollars per dose. And Beyonce fans will have another chance to experience the Renaissance Tour. The international superstar revealed that a behind-the-scenes movie about her tour will hit theaters in December. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, will cover everything from the inception of the tour to its final show in Kansas City. The trailer dropped this morning, and fans can buy tickets now, Scott. As a fan, I'm excited. All right, Silvana, <laughs> thanks so much. Silvana, yes. now up next... We got the top ETF trends to start the fourth quarter. Halftime's back in just a couple minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And we're back on Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Two big stories in ETF land to start the fourth quarter. The first, Ether Futures ETFs. They're trading right here. And big inflows continuing into bond fund. Let's talk with Simeon Hyman. He's the head of investment strategy at ProShares. Brian Lake, global head of ETF solutions at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Simeon, today, three new ETFs right here at the NYSE. ProShares Ether Strategy ETF, the first ones. Ether ETFs. What's this all about? Indeed, EETH is our Ether Strategy ETF. BETH uh, is the Bitcoin Ether Market Cap Weighted, and BETE Betty is the Bitcoin Ether uh, Equal Weight ETF. We're really pleased to bring them. We're the guys that brought you Bitto. You and I were here right. two years ago. That's the biggest crypto ETF. 
futures in an ETF works really, really well. You can buy it in your brokerage account, and we're trading nicely with really tight spreads today. Speaking of Bitcoin, uh, you run BITO. That's the biggest Bitcoin futures ETF. What is the status of the Bitcoin ETF? We're waiting for Gary Gensler, head of the SEC, to make a decision on this. When is it going to happen? Where are we at right now? All we know is BITO, the uh, BITO, is a futures-driven ETF with a billion dollars in it and it tracks spot real well, and you have the combination of regulated futures in an ETF, we think it's a great solution. I'm going to get a better answer out of you on ETF Edge. <laughs> Brian, big inflows continue into money market, short-term treasury ETFs. Investors are loving these 5% yields. It's real competition, but now we've seen big inflows into other things, short-term investment-grade corporate ETFs like the ultra short income one that you have there. Yeah. What's going on here? Why take the added risk of, of investment grade? It, it, it's an attractive place to be right now. You can step out of cash. Uh, JPST's objective is to outperform cash by 40 to 60 basis points. So give or take about a half a percent. SEC yield right now is 5.38%. Uh, PM was emailing me over the weekend. He's buying one year investment grade paper between 5.8 and 6.2%. It's a very attractive spot to be. Compared to the ag, you're getting 108% of the yield with only 10% of the duration. It's a pretty, pretty attractive Ag, place to course, hang out. It's a conglomeration of all of the bonds uh, in it. the United States. Is this a permanent change in consumer behavior? Are bond funds like these going to really pose really serious threat to stocks? It seems like it is. They're, the money is staying. It's very sticky in these bond funds. Uh, you know, maybe, but I think that they're just going to going back to playing their historical role in a portfolio where you want to have equities and you want to have your fixed income. Uh, and the fixed income was always the ballast to the portfolio, but there's still a lot of opportunity uh, on the equity side. Obviously, JEPQ is an attractive uh, strategy. It's covered call on, on, a, on a growth basket, kind of the NASDAQ 100, still yielding 13%. So for those My that are a little- My point is the investors seem very unhappy with the risk-reward ratio a risk-reward return of owning stocks right now over bonds. Viewers keep telling me, Bob, I'm happy with my 5% right now. I know I can get more in stocks. I just don't feel it right now. That's the attitude right now. Worrisome. Yeah, uh, worrisome, yes, but think about where we're coming from. 2022 was a really tough year. Markets rally heavily through the first part of this year, and so a lot of investors caught offsides. Maybe they've caught up on some of that. We've seen that catch-up trade happening a little bit. I think they want to grind to the end of the year and see if they can get that 5 or 6%. That seems pretty attractive. Thanks, guys. Much more on where the search for yield is heading. It's coming up on ETF Edge, 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time, along with more on the Bitcoin ETF. I promise you we're going to have more on it. Brian and Simeon will be joined by Todd Sohn. He's the ETF and technical strategist at Strategist. That's ETFEdge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. Bob, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Bob Pisani. Coming up, we've got more committee moves to talk about. The home builder Brian Belsky is buying. He'll tell you what that is. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Another trade to tell you about. Brian Belsky, KB Homes. You know what mortgage rates are doing, right? Yeah, they're elevated. We've learned that they're elevated. A little bit. They're elevated. A little bit. Uh, and people, you know what people are doing as a result of that? Yeah, renting. They're not, they're not, not, doing they're not buying houses. Yeah, or or they're waiting. No, I think you have to kind of look forward. And this elevation of rates, uh, the chances of rates to be lower a year or two from now, I think, is good. But the other thing too is that KB is up. The stock's up 45 percent this year. 
and they raise revenue guidance and they raise guidance for 2024 and they raise the number of units that they're going to be buying. A lot of these home builders, including Pulte, uh, did a really great job late last year and early this year when raw material prices were a lot lower, including lumber, and really cultivated, built a lot of products, uh, brought a lot of products in. And so where you're looking for, at the huge increase in housing in the population centers that are growing, mm-hmm. southwest, southeast, uh, I think KB's very well positioned. I just look at, you know, obviously, okay, yes, they've had a great year. Um, they surprised many up until the last, you know, month or three, right? As mortgage rates have continued to climb, these stocks have trended lower, yep. giving up some of the gains that they had. Yep. No, that you don't you don't see that as a, a potential overhang. No, because when you're buying a house, you're buying it for 30 years, right? Or or at least hopefully, uh, you're looking at it from a longer duration type of asset. Yeah, sure, but but fewer people are buying homes because the amount of interest they're paying over that 30-year no, period no. is tremendously exactly. more than it was before. Exactly. So if before. you're going to see this elevated period, I think a, a year from now, when you're looking out, I think th- these stocks are. You want to think contrarian. You don't want to go. You don't want to buy when, when or buy or sell when things are happening right now. Weiss? Scott, I believe in giving back. So, Ryan, <laughs> let me help you. Help, help me, help me, Steve. Uh, <laughs> wait, there's no rush to buy KB Home in a rising rate environment. If your view is a year from now, rates are going to come down. Wait till at least they come. And by the way, when they come down, houses still aren't going to be that affordable. So affordability index is just not there now. And these stocks typically sell at low multiples. They've actually moved up in the valuation which is kind of bizarre. Now, they've had good years, and yes, inventories are tight, and the market's still there, but it's affordability. So people don't look out 30 years and say, they say, I can't afford it now. I gotta worry about the other things, like putting my kid, putting food on my table, like buying clothes. So where do you spend the money? You stay where you are, you wait for rates to come down. So that's how I'd look at it. If you feel you have to do this, short, the house, short one of the housing indexes, short the XHB, because you think you're picking the best one, and I'd say that to viewers. If you think you can pick the best stock, but you want to take out the economic issues that, particular, that can affect that sector, short an ETF. Right, but don't short the Joe T. Okay. All right. <laughs> coming up, uh, utilities. Boy, they're getting hammered today. It's the worst sector of the year as well. We'll get the take next and show you uh, real time what's going on in that space. Just don't see it all, all that often. Down 5% back after this. Well, we are back and we want to show you in real time what's happening in utilities. Down more than 5%. Um, This looks like the worst performance in, in 15, 16 years. Um, several stocks in here just getting smoked. Next Era Energy down. Th- can we show that one intraday? Two, please, because that that's down. I don't know. It was down like nine percent or earlier. Let me, let, I'm going to come to you in a second. Yeah. You own Next Era. By the way, Josh Brown just tells us he sold it. So Josh sold NEE. He's on with us tomorrow, and he can take you through that. But the stock is down nine and a third percent. What are you doing with this? We own a 1% position. We have I don't of, care what size it is. Part of, it used to be 1%. Right? It used to be. Part of our proxy is we have to own something in every sector, Scott, so that's the best. This is the best one you picked? It's the best of a bad deal. When you look at, <laughs> when you look at the sector, debt to equity is going straight up and cash flow is going straight Great down. Pick. There you go. Thanks a lot. Joe? So this is the unwind of the renewable trade. The ticker symbol you have to watch here is NEP. 
That's NextEra Energy Partners. It's down 14% today. It's got a market cap of $2.4 billion. What you own is NEE. That's yep. $105 billion. Now, NextEra obviously owns NextEra Energy Partners. Wells Fargo downgraded and cut the stock. You're going to like this cut, Steve. 80 to 33 they cut the renewable energy stock. So that's what's pressuring right now utilities. NEE is over 14% of the XLU. The XLU was already reeling from a third quarter in which it was down 10%, and its 3.9% yield isn't attractive given where the 10-year is today. Shan, I'll go back to you um, on this because, you know, we mentioned it earlier as one of your playbook areas for the fourth quarter, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, really? Well, the sell-off is certainly, um, I, I couldn't agree more with Joe. I mean, there was a lot of enthusiasm around electrification and um, spending that was earmarked within the IRA for clean energy. Um, I think the other thing that we're forgetting here is that, you know, again, right now it's a trade in terms of both that clean energy trade coming off as well as, you know, the, the relative dividend versus cash opportunity. If you go into 2024, however, the, the shift from offense to defense can be very swift, and utilities have uh, historically benefited from that as people seek shelter, even in this elevated rate environment. So again, setting up for 2024 is really where my playbook was, was focused. Weiss? Look, rising rates or even staying higher for longer, you can get yields, better yields than what you get in the utility sector, which is typically why people buy them. So, so why own them? Why take the equity risk? Now, in terms of renewable, there are other issues. You know, it's not just that renewable companies are tough to finance because rates have gone so much higher. It's also because it seems that, at least in the headlines, that the ESG movement has stalled in the U.S. Now, I don't believe that. I think it's still moving. But politically, that's what influences stock action. So there's really no reason to own them. And you're not at a valuation floor yet. I've looked at NextEra. I think it's a good management. I think it's a good story. It's just the wrong story for this economic environment. All right, we'll take a quickie. We'll uh, come back to final trades on the other side. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. We're going to see what this market does between now and then. Walk it right up to the finish. With Cameron Dawson, Ed Yardeni now joining us. Chris Verone, too, on the technicals. So we're covering all aspects of it. Um, speaking of all aspects, as we uh, get ready to do uh, our finals, Jonathan Krinsky at BTIG just publishing a note in which he suggests um, Fang remains the only game in town, according to him, talking about what's going on in the market. Uh, but even that is, is approaching what he determines to be the end of the runway. Now, we mentioned that communication services, technology today, those two sectors, the only green ones. Um, discretionary, just trying to get there, basically it's flat. But, man, utilities are getting smoked, down five and a third percent. Uh, energy's terrible today, down two percent. Materials down nearly two percent. Healthcare's weak, staples are weak. We'll keep our eye on uh, Joe Utilities, too, uh, as we head towards the exits today. Rates been elevated, and, that, and that's the picture you've seen on, on your screen there for most of the day. And Small we'll, caps and we'll, we'll equally weighted that. as well. Struggling. Yeah. All right, Shan, give me a final trade, please. Consumer staples. We think that rotation from discretionary to staples will happen, and we particularly are interested in, in beverages um, and household uh, goods. Mr. Belsky. DoorDash. When I'm not taking Steve out for thank you dinners, 
DoorDash. $400 million of operating cash. You own it? Yes, I do. Okay. okay. Weiss. Short the XHB. I think it's a great short here. I'll you probably just do it on purpose. <laughs> no, no, I'll put it on. I think I'll put it on. <laughs> you will? I was just there before. Yeah. If yeah. But I say, did. My if final didn't say anything about the housing stocks, you wouldn't do that. Well, my final indicator fell into place. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cybersecurity, CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, uh, fundamental tailwinds. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for watching. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Of course, the exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 